Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stickmeyer. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing good. It's rainy and chilly here. Rainy and chilly. Well, you will be shocked to know that it is sunny and, I don't know, probably 75 degrees here. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I'm not shocked. but Yeah, that's the theology of cross that I, that I bear. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are at episode 18, and our topic for this week is the topic of confession and absolution. We did baptism a few weeks back, and so we're kind of uh, rolling our way through this through this topic, um, why don't you start us off, Scott? What's why is this an issue of pastoral care? Well, it's an issue of pastoral care because uh, we confess it in our confessional documents as part of our faith and as part of our practice. It's in the small catechism. We we teach it at least as an abstraction to our children, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it, that it exists. If you do that, if you do that chief part, and I'm, I'm assuming most of our pastors do, but it also seems to me that, uh, the practice of private confession, um, which certainly is included in what the catechism means. Um, you know, the origin of corporate confession and absolution is a different story, but, Certainly, you know, even if the reformers knew of corporate confession, they certainly were also aware of and practicing private confession or individual confession. And it was something the reformers didn't want to see fall out of practice. They wanted to reform it, but didn't want to abolish it. And yet, in the American church at least, it always, you know, in all effects, has fallen out of practice in most sectors. Now, I know that there are pastors who practice it, I know that there are churches where it's done. And that there are people who draw great comfort from it. But it seems to me that there's an incongruity between what we confess as part of our faith and part of our practice as Lutheran Christians and how we actually live as the church. And yeah. I want to talk about it. I think I think it's worth talking about. I can remember uh, two things kind of, that happened near to the same time, at least, at least for me. Uh, one was that the practice of private confession was kind of introduced or maybe reintroduced as a regular practice at the seminary. If I recall, it was either in my fourth year or STM year. So we're talking mid-90s, 20 years ago. Plus we're talking minus. when Winthy became president. Most yeah, likely. that's about right. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't... Yeah, I don't remember if that was exactly coincided, but it was at roughly that same time. Um, at about the same time, the the chapel was moving toward having the Eucharist every week, um, and and so there were a number of things that kind of kind of fell into place at that point. So that was sort of number one, uh, and that was unquestionably my first experience with with private confession. And then at the same time or within a year or two, I took a I took an STM class on private confession That's with right. Dr. Ken Corby. Were you in that class, Scott? No, no, no. I was done with my coursework for the STM oh, at that time. Oh, that could be. That could I really be. wish I'd have had it though. Yeah, it was one of the most defining classes that I had in my STM probably ever. Um yeah. and and Ken Corby was a uh uh, a longtime pastor, kind of a, I don't know, a maverick in the Missouri Synod. He was, 
uh, he was an old Valpo guy. Uh, so he was sort of looked down upon as a liberal in some circles, but he was very liturgical. So he was looked down upon as a, uh, you know, as a high church something or other by others. He was, he was kind of a man without a country in many ways. Uh, sort of embraced later, later in his, uh, in his ministry, I think. But, uh, but he spoke quite eloquently about, about private confession. And that, that's really where it kind of, kind of came together for me. Um, I do want to, I want to highlight one, one thing as we're starting on this, just in looking at the small catechism. And while this is, while this is obvious to to me and you, I don't think it is always that obvious that if you look at the fifth chief part on private confession or on confession or the office of the keys as they're sometimes sort of mushed together, that the presumption there is that we are talking about private confession. Yeah. You know, you just just think of what sins should we confess before God? We should plead guilty of all of all sins, even those we are not aware of as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Well, that doesn't happen in corporate confession. No. Um, that would be kind of a uh, cacophony of sin, I think, or something. Right. Right. Um, so so there is a presumption in the small catechism that this is not only something that is tolerated, but that this is actually integral to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And that I find remarkable given how rarely it is actually practiced in our midst. So historically, what what are some of the reasons that that it fell out of practice. I mean, I have my theories, but what in, in your study of it, what are some of the reasons that, or do you, do you have any thoughts? Confession and absolution wasn't actually called confession and absolution in the Reformation period. It was called penance leading up to the Reformation. Uh, and, and Luther pretty quickly reformed that practice. And if you look at the catechism, it's very obvious that the kind of the point of the whole thing is absolution, is forgiveness of sins. And that's kind of where the pastoral care issue comes in is as pastors are tools in the toolbox of, of caring for our people is or are the word of God and the sacraments. Confession, absolution kind of serves as an interesting bridge between those two. But one of the things, at least in my reading, that that was discovered at the time of the Reformation is that once people got the gospel, uh, they started to think that they didn't need to get it again and again. And so private confession st- pardon me, started to fall out of practice. So already in the Reformation period, you're saying, or yeah. the shortly after the— Already in the Reformation period or after, there is a— I'll say a tension between pastoral care and this confession absolution, which is clearly taught in the scriptures. John twenty. Uh, I mean, it's all it's all over the Matthew place. Matthew sixteen. Right? Matthew sixteen. There's, James it's, five. Yep. There's there's lots and lots of places where where this is clearly a part of the apostolic practice. And then is, and then to fast forward and I said, this is just a 50,000 foot overview. 
during the period of pietism, it falls out of favor even more. Uh, rationalism adds to it. And then when you come into America, you have those two influences, plus you've got uh, this kind of strong anti-authoritarian push that happens that happens along the way. And that push well, – no, go ahead. Yeah, there's also a lack of pastors in the in the early days of Lutheranism in America. There, you know, in the colonial or in the, you know, when the immigrants were coming over, you had few German speaking pastors. Right, right. And I mean, I think that would that would have an effect in terms on weekly communion and uh, things like the availability of of absolution. Sure, as the availability of pastors kind of waxes and wanes, that's going to go with it. Um, and and you can find all sorts of writings from from Walther and from other, the other early Missouri Synod uh, fathers that that lament essentially the loss of these practices and how do we recover them. So the fact that it is still a difficult practice to incorporate into the life of the church should not be a surprise to us. That has been the case, I think, for five hundred years, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, so tell me, Scott, how have you tried to incorporate confession, private confession, absolution in your congregations and how has that worked out for you? Well, you know, uh, you know, I may have, I may have certain talents, but one of them is not, um, being highly good at organizing. So you may have a better system. But what I do is I teach, Todd. I mean, I I, t- I teach the confession and absolution piece of the of the small catechism to the kids. I, sure. I teach it to them. Um, I don't mandate it. Um, I don't, you know, require before they go to confirmation that they go to confession or something like that. Um, so they really never have an opportunity to experience it because you know it's hard to be the go the first time. Once you go, once you kind of have that habitus, it's different. But when you, you know, for the first time to go, you almost have to follow the crowd or it has to be required or something. And, but I teach it and I teach it in my sermonizing. I preach about it. Um, there are certain uh, times of the year when, you know, during Lent, for instance, when I emphasize it more than other times. And I set aside a time, you know, I put in the, in the calendar that there are certain times of the week that I would be available for that. Sure. Um, and I have had mixed successes. I've had people take advantage of it, um, but not not that much, not that much at either of my parishes. The first church I served in Pittsburgh, uh, it seemed to be a little more, it was a smaller congregation, and it seemed like the practice was gaining some steam there um, when I left. And then, uh, I don't know, I'm sure that, you know, if they've continued that, the pastor there would, would be the sort who would. Uh, here, and, and this is not meant as any kind of a criticism, I just have not been as successful at implementing this practice Yeah, here in Elmhurst. Yeah. What about you? I mean, what do you, do you have like a set time of the week when you well, say you're have, in your um, office? That with me too has waxed uh-huh. and waned. And, and I guess I would start off by saying the level to which I am faithful at trying to implement confession and absolution is in almost direct proportion to the level at which I myself participate in confession and absolution. Sure. So when I was in, when I was in Wisconsin, my, uh, my pastor, my father confessor 
for a long time was in the neighboring parish. So he was literally three miles away. I saw him. We ran a school together. I saw him multiple times a week, every week. Uh, and so that was, frankly, an easy practice to put into place. Uh, here in, here in California, uh, my, my father confessor, my pastor, uh, is about a hundred miles away. And so the regular, the regular practice, the regular habitus, as you put it, of going to confession for myself has not been in place. And I've been here for almost four years. And not surprisingly, then my motivation for implementing it at the congregational level, uh, kind of goes along with that. Yeah. Uh, and and frankly, uh, what that really means is is that as you are fed as a pastor, so you will feed others. Uh, and and I'm I'm saying this as a as a mark of my own my own failing, kind of the, the just the circumstance. Uh, honestly, and I don't want to make this about me. Obviously, um, I don't. Uh, I really need to find a father confessor that's in my circuit. That's that's here nearby. That that will solve that problem quickly. So that's kind of one one general observation is if you don't have a father confessor, don't even pretend like you're going to be implementing this in your congregation because I don't think it's going to work. Because no, you, I think that's, you I think yourself don't believe it <laughs> if right, you're not right. actually I, doing it. I think that's an excellent insight, and I struggle with the same thing only because the the man that I have used as my father confessor, yeah, he does not live close, so we don't see each other that very very often. We're in the same district, but as right. you know, I'm in a non geographic district, right? So, uh, um, you know, that means that we don't see each other all that often. But, um, uh, you know, I try to take advantage of that when I can. But you're right; I think this has to be something that we, where the pastor practices what he preaches. It makes no sense at all to to stand up in front of people and say, this is a salutary practice when you're not yourself taking advantage of it as a penitent. Absolutely. So that's kind of, that's kind of number one. And I, and I think we could actually spend the whole rest of our time with that question right there. Now, I think we should do that. I don't think we should do it today. Um, So maybe we, we put a pin in that as a, uh, as a topic for, for a future episode is how to, how to pick a father confessor. Um, now, uh, moving on from that, I have I have seen that, and it's difficult to even use language like success or failure, because uh, yeah. I don't I don't really like I don't like the implication behind that. But I'll I'll use it anyways. And if our uh, dear listeners have a better language, by all means, you can email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Um, what I've found, very practically speaking, is that adults don't learn, not when mm-hmm. it comes to private confession. It is – and not – I think that like pastors, by the way, we can get it kind of theologically. I can see and understand the theological benefit of it and even the theoretical pastoral benefit to it. But when it comes to actually doing it, there is a – a deep-seated emotional and probably spiritual challenge that's in place. And there are a couple of them. Um, one is, is that 
basic underlying American question of why do I need the pastor? You know, mm-hmm. I can pray on my own. I don't need I don't need this guy. It's just me and Jesus. And even if we don't kind of fully drink of that Kool-Aid as Lutherans, it's definitely in the water somewhere. And that's mm-hmm. I think that that's hard to get away from. Uh, and then secondly to that is the is the other underlying question of why do I need to go to him for forgiveness when I get it in public confession absolution, when I receive it in the word, when I receive it, when I received it originally in baptism, when I receive it week after week in the Eucharist? It seems redundant and repetitive. And so I'm all it? for that. I'm all for that. I'm all for being redundant and repetitive when it comes to administering grace and Me receiving too. grace. You know, and I think, you know, maybe one of the underlying problems, Todd, is an ineffective preaching of the law. Um, you know, if, in fact, we feel like we're getting enough grace, you know, I mean, and right. I don't want people I don't want I don't want people to always be sort of left and hanging, you know, and never feeling comforted. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I, I it strikes me that if persons if your conscience is not troubled by your sins, uh, that itself is a problem. Yes, it is. That itself is a problem. And. While, yes, you do receive the grace of God through the Lord's Supper, you receive grace, I would argue, through preaching and through uh, the corporate confession and absolution. Great God's grace is there and it's there for you. But sometimes I, you know, there is something hardwired into us that that says, I need to say this out loud. I need to say something that's in my heart, that's, uh, that's troubling my mind. And so I always try to tell people, for those consciences that are burdened, come to your pastor. I've, you know, I, we do give in our, in our vow of ordination and in our, whenever we're installed someplace as a pastor, we always say that we promise not to reveal sins confessed to us. Yeah. Yep. And it's a safe person to go to. He has the, he has the command of Christ. And uh, go to him, go to your pastor and, and unburden your conscience. If, in fact, we have congregations full of people that never wrestle with their conscience, um, I, I, I wonder if perhaps, and I'm, you know, I know that, look, we're all about letting the gospel predominate. And I'm not trying to diminish that or back away from that. But sometimes the law needs to be harsh yeah. in order for people to hear it. In order for the gospel to be sweet, the law has to be harsh. I and that's the and that really is the balance. Now I said that I said that adults are dense and and pastors would definitely fit into that category too. Uh but children on the other hand are teachable. Yeah. And can learn a a habitus, a practice and see it as a part of their regular their regular life uh in a way that is very very difficult to instill in an adult. Um, the, probably the one time or place where I have seen uh, great fruit, maybe that's a better word than success, is a yeah. great, great fruit has been in teaching this to children. Uh, you know that when I was in Wisconsin, uh, we had a, uh, an elementary school, Christ Lutheran Academy, and a part of what we instituted from the very beginning at CLA was the practice of not only teaching confession, private confession and absolution, but of having a designated time during in the school week when the pastors would alternate hearing confession. And so students could 
voluntarily yes. go. And and they were uh, highly encouraged to do so. Um, and and what then ended up happening was a couple really interesting things. One is that when you're when you're hearing confession from a kindergartner, you're not going to follow the page mm. in the in the hymnal. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. first of all, they can't read. Um, yeah. And uh, and my uh, kind of my my barometer for determining whether or not to to use the book was generally whether they could say the word particularly <laughs> or in particular. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's where that section starts. And if they can't say the word in particular, they're going to be focusing probably more on trying to read it right than in mm-hmm. actually what it says. Yeah. So. So from those very early ages, what I ended up doing was was beginning with simply uh, what what sins do you want to confess? What have you done wrong? And and, you know, from from that children level, it may be uh, as simple as I, I stepped on Bobby's toe or I, you know, I didn't get my homework done. They they may be mundane sins. And I think that that's fantastic because what that does is actually uh, you're you're teaching the conscience and you are consoling the conscience. If you look at Luther's or at the small rather the small catechisms, what sins should we confess and which are these? They are mundane. You know, yeah, are you uh, right. hot tempered, rude or quarrelsome, et cetera? I mean, there this is not the are you an axe murderer list. Mm-hmm. And so by teaching children that it is that it is not only OK, it is really good to confess the mundane. What that teaches, I believe, is is getting across the concept that sins are meant to be released. They are meant to be forgiven. They are not meant to burden your conscience. Not big ones, not little ones. God does not want you to bear these. Our Lord bore them all to his death upon the cross. And so there's no reason for us to be burdened by these sins any longer. Uh, and, and that is way, way easier to teach to a kindergartner than it is to an adult. It's just that simple. When you instituted that, um, how did you frame it for the parents, you know, that you were going to be doing this? Were, um, if, if they're supportive, that's great. You know, but what if someone is like, well, I don't want my child to go to you with, you know, that's you know, uh, no, a good question. Um, I think that I can say in the, whatever the eight or nine years that we did it when I was there at the school, I don't think I ever once had a parent's object. Um, yeah, because it's voluntary, even though it's strongly encouraged yeah, and it's, it's voluntary. As, and right. yeah, and it was it, it was always presented as, and this is what we do at Christ Lutheran Academy. Mm-hmm. It was never presented as, and this is some weird thing that the pastors right. are introducing. <laughs> I mean, that's right. which, right. frankly, is we do kind of scare people sometimes yeah. when we talk yeah. the way we talk about these things like you know oh, okay some people think that this is a terrible idea but i think it's a great idea well you know <laughs> is that that's a really, bad way to frame right, anything is that really the right way to start talking about the forgiveness of sins i think not but that, but we do and i would argue that the reason that we are so hesitant about how we speak of it is is because a 
like like human beings the world over, we fear rejection. And so we want to kind of build in a uh, a system where if this fails horribly, um I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, but also, I'm not really sure how much we actually believe that this is that this is a part of the life of the church, which kind of brings us back to that. How often do I go to confession? Yeah, yeah. So you probably, I'm assuming, then when you because you started that school. I mean, yep. you were involved in the starting yep. of that school. So, so this was in in place from the beginning. Yep. With yep. that school. Yep. I think that if you were to try to. If you were to try to institute that practice at a school that had, you know, that had been in existence a long time, you would have total pandemonium. I think it would be very, very difficult without, first of all, the the full support and understanding of the entire staff of the school. I mean, yeah, and that's right. one of the many blessings that we had is that the teachers um, is that the teachers got it. They under, they understood it. They they got why this was important. What we were trying to do that we're trying to instill a lifetime of forgiveness and mm-hmm. and frankly of 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 teaching teaching children to believe that going to your pastor when when you messed up is what you do. That's yeah. just what you do, and that the pastor's there to forgive you because that's what he does. And you know you get that taught to a third grader and it may take 30 years for that to come back but at some point that's gonna stick and that that can be a life-changing event for them and i think it's i think it bears repeating too for the sake of our listeners who may not be familiar with the lutheran positions and sure, why sure. we you know which we've touched on we've talked about it you know that this is first an apostolic practice is found in the scriptures the reformers did not mean to abolish it only to reform it right. and what was that reform i mean one of the things was to remove the um, uh, the penance element where, you know, the pastor absolves you, but then tells you to go and, and make amends to God by saying 10 Hail Marys, right. um, that, that, that that was just dispensed with. And also this idea that you have to confess every single solitary infraction of God's law. And if you don't remember something, then it doesn't get covered by the absolution, uh, something that tortures consciences. This should never be something that tortures a conscience. Right. It's meant to alleviate a conscience. Right. Right. And that you get that in place. And and so in some respects, this strikes me as one of these many practices where you have to present it as this is normal, even if it's not normal. Mm-hmm. And or even if it's not regularly practiced in your parish, not make a big deal out of it, but not um, but not shy away from it either. And that's a uh, that's kind of a, a tricky balance to strike. I can remember uh, having a conversation with a uh, pastor friend of mine once. Um, I won't tell you his name, but it rhymes with Swirla. <laughs> uh, and uh, and him telling me that he liked to uh, he liked to practice. I think he called it stealth absolution, where in, in simply in conversations with with people, pastoral conversations with people, if someone were were speaking about how they were troubled by something, and he would just say, "Would you like me to get rid of that for you?" Yeah, and that's nice. And 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 not 
and not go through the okay we're going to go to church i'm going to i'm going to put my stole on and kind of do all of the ritual elements to it which i f- firmly support and believe are good and helpful mm-hmm. but i also firmly support and believe that the pastor brings these things with him wherever he goes because that's who he is that's this identity and so if in my pastoral conversations with people i am able to do a uh uh I am able to bring Christ and the forgiveness of sins and absolve them right then, right there. I'm not going to say, I'm sorry, I can't forgive your sins right now because I don't have the right outfit on. Yeah. Let's make an appointment and I'll right. dress now, you up. There may be benefit to doing both, but. Well, if they, especially if they need to talk about it more and you're not in sure, a setting. Sure. And and so I, I think that if we as, excuse me, if we have, as pastors think of ourselves as um, as stealth forgiveness bombers or something that what what I get to do as a pastor when I go about my life in in speaking to my parishioners and speaking to the children at my school here and speaking kind of everywhere that I go is what I'm doing in, is bringing Christ and bringing specifically the forgiveness of sins and the comfort of the conscience. Well, first of all, that's going to give me a uh, an understanding of my identity that is uh, that I think is is not only remarkable but beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then, if someone wants to reject me because I'm too forgiving, I'll take that. I'm okay with that. I really mm-hmm. am. Right. Right. That's why I think it's we want to emphasize the abundance of opportunities for hearing the gospel and receiving God's grace, not to try to deal with it as if it's, you know, it's a scarce commodity. Right. Now, another topic that we should probably touch upon at some point, I think, should be what's the relationship between confession and absolution uh, that is given by the pastor and the forgiveness of sins, which is announced and delivered by every Christian. Yeah. Uh, Again, I don't think I I think we're kind of running a little long here, so we don't really have time to do that now. But it is definitely worth worth doing, worth having that talk. Agreed. That might that'll we'll put that on our list of things uh, that seems to be growing every day. You know, we should make sure that we write this list down, Scott. Yeah, it's that's a good. It's always good to write things down. Yeah, writing things down (laughs) is good, or typing them, or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, do you think we've uh, we've we've covered this enough for today, my friend? I do. I do. I'm ready to go for what's bringing us joy. All right. Well, since you've brought it up, we are before I get to that, we are at episode 18, so you can find the show notes uh, about what we've talked about here, etc. at thecruxofthematter.net/podcast/slash/18, and I would encourage you to do so. Please make a point of giving us a review in iTunes. Uh, that is probably the most helpful thing that you can do as a listener to help others find the show. The other most helpful thing you can do is to like us on Facebook, share any of these episodes with your uh, with your Facebook friends. We get a lot of traffic from Facebook, so uh, I would encourage you to do so. Thanks. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy today? Well, just in line with what we're talking, there's a chapter in Lutheranism 101 on confession, which um, which I wrote. But I think the book, Lutheranism 101, 
is something that all of our listeners should have and should know about. And it, it's great for, it is a great 101, sort of an intro level to Lutheran doctrine, Lutheran theology. What does it mean to be a Lutheran Christian? And is, you know, it's got a nice uh, blending of, of white space and bullet points and text boxes. I mean, it's very easy to read. And it's something that pastors or church workers could hand to new people, newcomers to the church. It's also something that people who've been in the church for their whole lives would find to be I think would find it edifying to kind of read through Christian doctrine, all the different points of doctrine. And it gives a little bit of church history. It gives a little bit of description of things, you know, like our order of worship. It's got a nice glossary of terms in the back. I think it's just full of helpful, educational and, and uh, edifying resources. Lutheranism 101, you can get it from Concordia Publishing House from their website. I don't know how much the book costs, but it's not very expensive. It's this great little white paperback. And there have been other companion volumes made to it that you could look at as well, various Bible studies and so sure. forth. But the basic Lutheranism 101 book, it's been out now for several years, but I, so it's, it's not brand new. I see that it's copyrighted 2010. But um, go, go to the website, get one, give it to your friends. Fair enough. I've used that uh, multiple times in my adult instruction here. I have found that it is a little bit too long for a introductory adult instruction class. But I have used it that way a couple different times and I found great benefit to it. Um, there's a great study book, study guide or course that, that can go along with that that was written by uh, Pastor Sean Cum up in Wyoming. Uh, and as you indicated, there are also a whole bunch of other kind of connected volumes. This is really a series that Concordia Publishing House has been doing for a while and it's, uh, and it's good stuff. So yeah, great yes, pick. Yes, it is. Well, my What's Bringing Me Joy is another uh, one of my weird tech nerd gadget thingies. Uh, you know that I have a tendency to uh, uh, to be attracted to uh, shiny things, Scott. And my shiny mm -hmm. thing for this week is called an Amazon Echo. Have you ever heard of this? No, but I want to know. Amazon Echo. It's a little. Uh, it's a little device. Let me see if I can grab it here. It's a little device um, that uh, that's like a tube. It's got speakers in it. It has a bunch of uh, a bunch of other things in it, and it's uh, it's really quite fun because basically what it does is it's voice activated, and so you can do all kinds of things with it. So we're going to try this and see if it works. Alexa, what's the weather like today? Right now in Rockland, it's sixty one degrees with clear skies and sun. Today's forecast has partly sunny weather with a high of 73 and a low of 48. Isn't nice. that cool? <laughs> yeah. Nice. So you can and you can do all kinds of things along those lines with it. You can uh you can have it uh play music. It's like um it, it's uh tuned in to Pandora or to Amazon Prime. You can make shopping lists and those shopping lists can be integrated with your iOS device. So for instance, I can put something on this Amazon shopping list and it'll automatically morph its way over to getting on my phone list, you know, my iOS reminders list. Uh, it's a fun little device. If you're an Amazon Prime member, it costs $100 and it's also a nice Bluetooth speaker. So that's, uh, that's that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So what yeah. was it called again? The, Amazon. It's called the Amazon Echo. 
Echo. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's uh, it's very cool. I've uh, I've been enjoying it. Um, haven't uh, fully baked in everything that it can do, but uh, it's a it's a cool little device, and mm-hmm. it satisfies my need for for geekery pretty well. Yeah, that's neat. I'm gonna have to put that on my want list for my. Yeah. I have a birthday coming up, by the ah. way. There you go. In a month. In a month. Well, that's uh, that's good. I always like it when you have a birthday because that reminds me that you're older than me. So, oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad yeah. I can serve that. Purpose. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Appreciate. Not that. a lot older, but just enough. So mm-hmm. that's good. So, anything else that you've uh, got to say for the day, my friend? No, not really. Well, that seems like a good way to end the show. Then, thanks, listeners, for everything, and we will see you next time. God bless.